Hey guys, it's Arthur from the Good Trash Media Network. I just wanted to say thank you to Loot Crate for sponsoring this week's episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast. Out of Oklahoma City, you're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, boy. But you're still the same. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films that you will not discuss. Wait a minute. In fact, in a PhD-level film studies course, we did discuss this film as a piece of theory. More on that anon, but this week's film is Fast Five. Uh, it is a documentary about the Beatles and uh, some of their extra members and what have you and whatnot. But uh, we'll <laughs> talk. They quickly went to their demise? Uh, I'm confused. Not so much, but yes. Uh, we're going to be talking about Fast Five. We're going to talk uh, cars and racing and all that good stuff. And I'm very, very excited to do that with my illustrious co-host. To my left, sir, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart. And Dustin, my legs open the same time uh, I pull this trigger. Terrible line. Uh, terrible line. It's not a good line, but thank yeah. you very much. Gal Gadot sells the shit out of a terrible line right there. That's great. Okay, to my right, sir, who are you? Dustin, my name's Caleb Masters, and give me my damn veggies. Thank you very much. My name is Dustin Sells, and you guys know I like my dessert first. And uh, we are <laughs> Dwayne the Rock. Dwayne, the, the Dwayne Rock. the Rock Johnson. Dwayne Johnson. Johnson. <laughs> he is at his Johnsoniest in in Fast Five. He is so good. Oh my he god, is quite the Johnson. Moving he, right he along. He is a. Uh, he looks like a big penis. <laughs> Just oiled up. And for every passing entry of the series he's in, he gets even bigger. He has gotten progressively bigger as the series continues. Now, we need to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It is an analysis show, and that requires of us that we um, do some spoilerific spoilerages, but we give you a brief, uh, the briefest of reprieves. What we'll do is we'll have a synopsis from the voice of the Dollar Theater, or really just the old uh, canceled VHS chain. And then from there, we move on uh, to our uh, quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. We will play our game, which might involve some mild spoilerages. It does from time to time. And then once we get down to business and bring that analysis, it is spoilers a whore a whore a whore good lord sir paging dr freud uh spoilers ahoy and you have been warned i was trying to say warned and ahoy at the same time apparently but now that you know what's happening and the order of service in our liturgy we begin with a homily uh from the voice of the dollar theater as he provides us i don't know with that i kind of like uh shut down vhs chain okay Dominic Toretto and his crew of street racers plan a massive heist to buy their freedom while in the sights of a powerful Brazilian drug lord and a dangerous federal agent. This movie takes place in Brazil. I don't know if you could tell from all the shots of Jesus over Rio. Oh, by sure? the way, it is we, we're going to Rio. It's it's the Olympics edition of the Good Trash Genre Cast. And, uh, oh, this is really good timing. Yeah, <laughs> perfect timing. Even though it wasn't actually filmed in Rio. Surprise. Uh, what? Shock. Really? Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Puerto no Rico. No shit. They got like a lot of those establishing shows. Yeah. B-rolls. Man, that's a bummer. Tax incentives. But there you go, dear listener. Now you know what's happening with this film. Let's talk about if we like it or not. Caleb, what do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh, man. Okay, I'm just going to throw this out there, guys. I love love this series unironically it is so much fun yeah there are a couple of entries i don't really care for i'm going to talk about that a little bit here in a little bit but um i i really got back into this franchise starting with the fourth one uh, and the fifth one is what really brought this whole series into mainstream popularity and success let's if we're gonna be honest um it is i, I enjoy them because 
they don't take themselves too seriously. The great heist movies, and honestly, they have everything I want from a blockbuster. Right? You've got big dumb. You got movie stars. You got big dumb action. You got heart because guys, remember this is about family. And I don't have friends. I have family. <laughs> and uh, it's got it's got everything I'd want from a from a fun action. There's a lot of there's a well rounded cast all together. Um, and the, the stunts are really impressive, and they're a lot of fun. It's just a good time. Uh, the Rock and Vin Diesel are at their muscliest, and while it's really <laughs> over the top, I still... This movie keeps trying to pretend Vin Diesel's in as good a shape as The Rock, and it's silly. It is funny. I'm sorry. Like, Vin Diesel's a big guy. Don't get me wrong. But The Rock is, like, surpasses human uh, capacity. He's the Hulk. He's, uh, so, uh, Dalton, I don't, uh, I don't feel like I'm under arrest. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't look at you right now. <laughs> so yeah, Dustin, this is just a good old fashioned blockbuster. It's a great time. I love it. All right. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you think? Oh, I'm I'm with Caleb. This is a supremely stupid movie that is legitimately amazing uh, in terms of what is done, and I think a lot of that has to do with Justin Lin's uh, reliance on practical effects throughout his um, throughout the entries in this franchise that he directed. Which, unless I'm mistaken, are Four, five, no, five, four, he directed, five, six. Uh, he direct, started with Tokyo Drift and went all the way through uh, six. Oh wow, I didn't even think I didn't know he did Tokyo Drift. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, Justin Lin um, got some some backlash about the heavy use of CGI in uh, part four, uh, and with this film in six, like really, really tried to do as much practical as as could physically and safely be done, and it shows because the car chases in this movie are fucking bonkers and are just so fun and so silly and it's just uh it's a supremely silly film but it is so awesome and i i think it is this uh beautiful beautiful rainbow coalition of ass kickery um i love this movie and i think i'm with you caleb i think uh prior to fast five this was a franchise that started with a point break ripoff i mean think about 2001 fast and the furious comes out it is literally point break with cars that's what the movie is, and I, it baffles me that it's come this far. I'm not the first one to make this observation, uh, but it's like the Fast and the Furious franchise has become the Saturday morning cartoon version of the franchise. So, like the Ram- the Rambo cartoons, and you know, weirdly, all these adult '80s films had Saturday morning cartoons, and Fast Five has become its own Saturday morning cartoon version of itself, and I I, I love it. I love it. By the sixth one, they're like James. It's like a James Bond movie, especially the seventh one's mostly a spy movie. And it's just like, how the fuck did these? They're, they're street racers. Yeah. How did this? They're happen? street racers. How did we get here? How did we get it with the super secret government agency in part seven? It's so silly, and I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Dustin, what are your thoughts on this uh, magical, magical movie? Okay. Well, as you guys see, say, it is a big dumb load of fun. It is fun. It is dumb, 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 dumb. Oh, it's very stupid. <laughs> dummy, dummy, dumb, dumb, dumb. I, I mean, the dialogue for me, Dustin, just like takes it. I know you think it's dumb for different reasons, probably. For me, I can't get over that. Well, the dialogue is dumb, and I was going to get to that. Thank you very much for that. Um, but also, it's, I mean, there's the plot movements, the way they set up their action set piece. They drag, and this is not a spoiler, a giant vault through it's the so, streets so of Rio it's de Janeiro. So good. It's it, so it's, good. It's amazing. It's no, no. No, they it's steal, amazing. They no. steal cars off of a moving it, train. It's like that moment. They drive the, a car off of a cliff. 
It's like that moment in the A-Team movie when they start flying the tank by shooting it in air. You mean that amazing part in the yeah, A-Team yeah, movie? It's incredible. Okay, see, uh, again, I guess uh, my um, suspension of disbelief um, requires something um, as opposed to you lot. Uh, but yeah, I don't... Is, it, is it too late for me to tell you that in part seven they actually parachute cars out of a flying vehicle? They actually parachute them and land them on a mountain to high state vehicle? Oh, of course they do. It's so cool. Oh, no, it's not. Um, I, I I love the complete uh, disregard for physics in this film. Yes, and you see more of this in Justin Lin's oeuvre, you know, particularly in Star Trek Beyond, uh, but we'll talk more on that perhaps at some other point as well, where we see the Fast and the Furious Captain Kirk uh, and what have you. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun, though. I can't say I don't enjoy my time watching it, and they do, uh, it gets maudlin, frankly, it gets... It, gets into the level of melodrama with this stuff about family. It's a very sappy series. Yes, and it, I, no, I just, I'm not feeling it. Oh, what, you're having a baby, everything, shut up. Um, and therefore, yeah, that, I mean, that that's where it is. I mean, it is fun popcorn time, but it is absolutely just that uh, for me. So there you go, dear listener. Uh, we are two-thirds pro and a third meh, um, I guess is the sound I would make for my middling review you of idiot. this film. Okay, that's fine. Um, but listen up, guys. Uh, I think it's probably about time we play the game. This week's game, since Fast Five is the uh, sometimes thought to be the best of the uh, franchise series, uh, we're going to name our franchise MVPs. Oh, uh, that's right. Franchise MVPs brought to you by Fast Five. Fast Five. Talk about most valuable pyrotechnics, am I right? Yes. Okay, so there you go, dear listener. Hey, thanks, Arthur. <laughs> Dustin's just, I will not be amused tonight. I just won't. I just won't. Uh, we're going to talk about that, and uh, just again, we're going to name some great franchises out there and what we love from them. I'm going to go to you first, Dalton Stewart. What are your favorite franchise picks? Uh, I do want to give a shout-out uh, that I feel like is going to be surprising for me because it's, uh, a, uh, it's a film franchise i don't really talk about that much because I, I don't have the love for it a lot of people of my generation do uh but that's harry potter uh and specifically uh, the prisoner of azkaban uh directed by alfonso Cuarón, which is just so weird that he directed that movie and i can't i to this day like i still don't understand how it happened but i think it's pretty dope that it did um and it's just a really really solid film i would actually also give shout outs to the last two entries in that franchise because i think they're both uh very high in uh, emotional stakes. And I, I think when you have a long running franchise, when you have, uh, you know, this kind of tentpole filmmaking, they live and die on their stakes. And when the world's at stake, nothing is at stake. And in almost all of these films, the world is at stake. So for me, it's, it's about do the emotional stakes pay off. And, and I think that's really what it comes down to. Uh, I would also, uh, I can't not give a shout out to aliens, which is one of my favorite sequels of all time. Um, I, I think it has to be mentioned if we're going to talk about franchise MVPs because Alien happened in 1978? Nine. Okay, I wanted to go a year earlier. Uh, and the franchise, it wasn't a franchise. It lay dormant for a very long time. And then James Cameron was like, hey, uh, I also would like to make more of this and has now spawned a from that a colossal franchise of comic books and four more films Uh uh, following his his outing uh, and just like really kind of made alien a part of western pop culture uh and again i mean 1979's alien was uh so influential and and such a, a groundbreaking film but i i think uh, a lot of uh, credit needs to be given to james cameron for 
what we think of when we think of alien. I mean, the colonial Marines are such an integral part of that mythology, um, and they don't exist without that <clears throat> that entry in the franchise. And it's a film I love and a film I love to revisit. So, I, uh, yeah, what am I going to do? Not talk about it? Finally, I would like to give some love to last year, to 2015, the year of the Lega sequel, uh, a term coined by uh, uh, Matt Singer of Screen Crush uh, to describe Creed and uh, Mad Max Fury Road and Star Wars The Force Awakens. These films that, I mean, we we have we are fully into franchise land, guys, uh, and it doesn't look like we're we're going anywhere else anytime soon. So if we're going to keep doing this, I would like more films like this that are, while rooted in these mythologies and rooted in these worlds, do try to tell their own stories. I think Star Wars, obviously, of those three films, uh, is the most rooted in its mythology and the the least telling a new story. Uh, But especially Creed and Fury Road are just films that should not be as amazing as they are. Um, Like, truly great pieces of cinema. I legitimately mean that from the bottom of my heart. I think those are both amazing films. Uh, and I would say that Star Wars, is, uh, The Force Awakens is still quite, quite, quite good and quite fun. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think they deserve credit where credit is due, all three of those for trying to make interesting films within uh, tentpole films and within franchises. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, what are your selections? Oh, I have uh, several, but I definitely want to second Mad Max Fury Road because, holy crap, guys, it's freaking incredible. Uh, we've talked about so it on the good. show at length, so I won't belabor the point. But yes, that is I think that is a standout entry of that for, uh, series. Uh, let's look at Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. That's the one that embraces Friday the 13th as a campy horror movie where it gets super over the top and wacky. I love it. I love it. Pokes fun at the Jason franchise. It's pokes so much fun in itself. I'm so into that. Um uh, next, I want to move into uh, it, it, arguably a franchise, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, say the Marvel Cinematic Universe is its own franchise and have to give a shout-out to Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, it's so good. It's so great. It's the uh, only entry to that uh, franchise that's not really a superhero story, which is really awesome. Love it, love it, love it. Um, next, I want to give a shout-out to Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is also, oh, I mean, out of so nowhere. so good. Out of nowhere. And, I mean, Rogue Nation was great, too, but, man... I mean, Ghost Protocol, like, just up to the bar for action movies and spy, so you know, kind of good. spy espionage type things. I Those love movies that. have no, there's no reason they should be as good as no. they are. And I think it's a great that we're talking about this on the Fast Five episode, because I feel like Fast Five was, like, the first of, like, all these tentpole franchises to make a comeback, where you're like, wait, why is this this good on the yeah. fourth or the fifth or the sixth movie? It's like, this shouldn't happen. Well, and it's, I think both those those Mission Impossible films and the, the Fast franchise have, like, encouraged big studio tentpoles to do more practical effects, yes. to do more death-defying stunts. That's why we go to the goddamn picture show. It's why we've been going since, I don't know, the fucking general uh, or stagecoach. I mean, we want to see people do things, and we want to not understand how they're not dead. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, on a lesser note, uh, we had a trailer for the new uh, Resident Evil this last week, which reminded me that that oh, franchise God. still exists. I know. And I have seen all of them, and uh, most of them are very, very terrible. Uh, two of them are, are terrible in a fun way, and which so I'm going to give that a shout-out because I really enjoy the which first one? one the first one. the second one's good too they're, i like the both, third one a lot actually. really yeah i need to rewatch it i didn't like it when i saw it the first time but i've only seen it you know they're very time. bad movies i actually can't the, the third the fourth and the fifth one literally
really blur together. I'm like, they're in a desert somewhere. I don't know. But the first one, <laughs> the first one's a good time. Like, yeah, it's a it's a B movie. It's got zombies, but it, and it's a video game adaptation. But it has fun with that. Like, and it, it doesn't take itself serious at all. It's a good. It's a really good time. Kind of again, like watching a cartoon. Um, and then lastly, mentioning Star Trek Beyond. I think that's probably the standout of the latest J.J. Abrams the reboot, reboot franchise. franchise. Yeah. yeah, Justin Lin, man, he knows what he's doing. He does. He can make a really fun movie. That's got, and that, that movie has a lot more. I would argue a lot more ideas going forth than any of the Fast and Furious. Movies. Oh, most definitely. In that it has ideas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that 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 right there is the, the kicker. The, the presence is, of ideas is that there are ideas other than family. We'll not discuss how well formed they are, but we'll move right along into my gameplay, and it's going to be all horror all the time from Dustin. And so what I've done for you all is I've constructed a few trilogies out of the massive, uh, long franchises uh, within uh, the greats of horror. So we'll begin with Hellraiser. So you, you've pruned down to the, the choiciest yes. choices. Like, this is this is the trilogy. The right. holy trilogy, or the unholy trilogy. I really don't like that you're starting with Hellraiser, but that's fine. Well, I, I'm doing it because I've actually spoken of this once before on our Hellraiser show many, 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 many Oh, God. Ago. God, back in the, the UCO days. Right. Uh, it's a terrible episode. Actually, it's not that bad. It's uh, not a bad episode. Uh, still don't like that movie. Okay, well, you're still wrong. and uh, You're that, wrong about Fast Five. It doesn't change. Uh, <laughs> but I would say, I would recommend the first, second, and fifth films. That would be Hellraiser, the original, and then um, Hellraiser 2, Hellbound. Hellbound Heart. Oh, and, the, I thought that was the Hellbound Heart. Uh, no, it's Hellbound. Okay. Uh, with the Hellbound, Hellbound Heart is the novel it's based right. upon, yeah. And then uh, Hellseeker, uh, episode five, which uh, all three involve Kirsty Cotton, the mm-hmm. character. Character. And I find them to be very interesting. The fifth one is a directed DVD or a directed video at that time uh, film, but I still like it a whole lot. Now, Caleb, I have to t- address you now, sir, directly because I have a Friday the Thirteenth uh, trilogy, and it does not involve Episode Six. Although Six uh, is fun. No, yeah, yeah, but you're, you're like Dalton says, you're wrong, and that's okay. okay. You're allowed to be wrong from time to time because Six is the one only one that actually realizes what the hell it is. Okay, well, I'm going to say this: um, if you really want the horrors of Camp Crystal Lake and a Tom Savini amazing, crazy, you know, special. Oh, effects and all definitely. that kind of stuff. You want to do one, two, and four uh, with that. You want you're going to skip part. You're going to skip three D. All yeah, three all together. You don't want three. It doesn't happen. It does not exist. We don't want that. It's, three three is where we get the hockey mask. Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. But yeah. that's okay. okay. He yeah. can start out with the hockey. They mask. all bleed together for you. Don't, me. You don't need that. Okay. And uh, we get Corey Haim uh, doing his stuff. Haim Feldman. Which which Corey is? It? I forget mm, now. I think it's Haim. But nonetheless, uh, check out those, and you get to see Jason meet a sticky end, and that is somewhat fun. Um, let's talk about Jaws for a second. Hey, yes. Uh, I noticed you just breezed past Jason X, and I feel like that's a real big mistake. He's got on a your point. I, I didn't breeze past oh, it. Oh, you're right. you're a fool. I, I, you're I'm, a fool. I'm ignoring it all. And, and oh, definitely, so you're, good. And you're definitely skipping over the best of the best, which is Freddy versus Jason. No, that's pretty terrible. You're, I want it to be better than it is. So this is going to be the last episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandra Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Jaws uh, was what I was going to begin speaking about at this point. Why? Because I think four is fun, and so I think is that one, the one and four the, the with one, Michael Caine. The, and, and no, what's the one with um, uh, Mario Van Peebles? Oh yeah, that would be four that's also. Four? Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, that's four also. So he plays a Jamaican character. Uh, we yeah. got Michael Caine. It's in the it's in the Caribbean, and there is this crazy like supernatural revenge yes. aspect. Supernatural, to it. where the shark is aware, and in, in the fa- and the entire generation of Jaws's offsprings have always been trying to kill this family. Kill this, it, it, it's, they're after the Brodies. It's it's Jaws. 
The Revenge. Yes, as indeed. I, unless dun, I'm mistaken. Dun, yeah. The, yeah, that is the subtitle. And I, you know what? I think you watch those two back to back, like, okay, that's a good conclusion to the story, and it's sort of fun. All right, let's so, talk about what I know you're going to talk about. Okay. Let's talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yes, The Nightmare on Elm Street, which is where it's at, y'all. Okay, I'm interested to hear these. Okay. So I'm guessing, all right, can I can I guess what you're you going to say? Anticipate I'm going to guess one, mm-hmm. three, and New Nightmare. You got it. My man. Well, it's all the craven. But yes, uh, one being the original uh, Dream Warriors being episode three, mm-hmm. and then New Nightmare being episode seven. Uh, New are, Nightmare is so good. It is really good. I mean, you really could just, and what's nice is you really could just watch those three, and it would make just as much sense. You I could think just watch good. New Nightmare. And Freddy would not be weird comic booky and, you know, uh, one-liney and those sort of things he's, quite He's got some quips in three. He's got a few. It's starting uh, to happen. But isn't uh, Primetime Bitches in three, right? Yes. That's what but I that's, thought. That is, that is a wonderful line, though. It's, and it's so important. good. So those are my selections from the wonderful weird world of horror. Um, check them uh, out. New Nightmare. So I can't. We need to do that on this show. Yeah, we do. New Nightmare is choice. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it is. such a weird and interesting movie. So let's move on, though. Um, I'm sure, dear listener, you have selections and you would like to carry on some of the fun banter that we've had together so far that has ended our friendships here in the Trash <laughs> Show. But we can continue a friendship with you with banter. Um, we can do that via those magical means that we know as social media. Caleb, first, uh, what do you know about that and what can the, where can the Dear Lessner find us? Oh, on the good old social media, you can hit us up and comment with your choices for favorite franchise MPB MVPs on Facebook.com slash Good Trash Media. You can hit us up there or if you're interested in maybe supporting what we do here on uh, Good Trash Genre Cast or any of our other shows, you can head on over to Patreon.com slash GTM and contribute there where you too can pick a movie for Dustin to hate. Um, and lastly, uh, you can uh, just go on to the main page at GoodTrashMedia.com. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. There's yet a means left, Dalton. Speak of it, please. Oh, but there is, Dustin. Uh, you can find the Good Trash Media Network on Twitter at good underscore trash. Uh, go there. Tell us who the, the Good Trash Media MVP is. That'll get things real fucking contentious. <laughs> uh, Don't do it, guys. It's a trap. It, it's it is, a trap. It is a trap. Uh, but once again, that is good underscore trash on Twitter. You can find us. Uh, talk to us about any of the shows that we produce for Good Trash Media. Um, it's all there. All righty, dear listeners. So there you know how to have the conversation with us let's just take a brief moment and hear a word from our sponsors thank you for turning in to a word from our sponsors this week on a word from our sponsors we're taking a look at loot crate loot crate is a monthly subscription service that sends you a wonderfully curated box of geeky goodness each month focuses on a different theme such as dystopia time space invasion and the future Loot Crate also has subscription boxes for pet lovers, gamers, anime fans, and their newly announced WWE box. So if you want to take your nerd game to a new level, head over to LootCrate.com forward slash good trash and use promo code good trash to receive $3 off of your first box. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you very much, folks at Loot Crate. We appreciate you very much. We also have one other special sponsor that we want to recognize this week, as this week's show is being recorded in the home of one Julie Bohannon. Julie Bohannon, the best of all the moms. And she's Thank also you. she's also a patron, and she is a patron. And so, uh, not tell my she... mom you said that, Dustin. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see, we'll see, we'll see what she says uh, say about that. <laughs> I like your mom too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> true. Sure. <laughs> Moving right along, I think it might be time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. It's business time. Um, 
That's right, dear listener, and that business in question is analysis. I'm excited to hear what's being said around this table. Caleb, I go to you first. What analysis do you bring? Yeah, so this was a really easy one for me to, to like, the thing that's really fascinated me about this franchise is how it has has unwittingly, I would argue, become this really glowing poster child for, like, diversity in Hollywood. Like, you, it, uh, you, what did you call it all, uh, earlier? A uh, Rainbow Coalition of Ass-Kicking. Yes. You you have an entire cast. You've got, of course, you have Paul Walker in the lead. You have Vin Diesel, who's a little, uh, there's a little bit of ambiguity there. But you have Tyrese Gibson. You've got Ludacris. Uh, you've got Gal Gadot. And Sung Kong, who is a oh, Korean he's so, actor. He's, he's so, so fucking good great. in these movies, dude. He's, he's having a great time. It's great. Yeah. And I, so I love, that is one of my favorite things about, particularly, Five, six, and seven. Like you have, and I, and again, yes, the the family thing is schmaltzy, but it's kind of there is something really it's cool, cute. yeah, yeah cute. cute about like a multi. Uh, cult, you know, uh, a diverse family all coming together to bond to, you know, break the law together. But you know, it doesn't it didn't start out that way. So I kind of wanted to look a little bit about how this happened because this just started about uh, a film by about a bunch of white dudes racing cars with their. Uh, uh, it's a their point break ripoff. Yeah. So the, the original film leaned way heavier on Paul Walker and Vin Diesel, and all of the, most of their gang were also white. Um, and then you have the supporting cast being Michelle oh, Rodriguez. As we say, we've left out Michelle Rodriguez. She's Hispanic, and yeah, she is on who, the team, and she's so awesome. She is so awesome, and I love that. In the later later in the series, they played up her role a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you have Jordana Brewster, who is Brazilian, um, but they're again supporting characters. And then, then Johnny Tran, the bad guy, is again Asian American. So uh, it again very kind of what you'd expect from a car about a film about cars. Uh, now the first film was made on a modest budget of thirty eight million, which is not huge, uh, and it was a runaway success. So they go right ahead into a sequel. Now, they were so gung-ho about getting that sequel out, though, that they did not want to wait for director Rob Cohen or Vin Diesel, who went on to make the Triple X movies as Too Fast, Too Furious was in production. Yeah, they did. So, when, Oh, yeah, they did. But when those two left, they took a lot of the, the creative team with them as well. So that brought in, uh, the studio brought in John, director John Singleton, mm-hmm. who is African-American also, uh, to direct that on a script, and the script was more interested in putting the defunct hero of Brian O'Connor or Paul Walker uh, in kind of on the street level okay again you know you're, you're breaking the law so you get you get, you get the gist right um and his partner is an old uh, friend he grew up with tyrese gibson uh and despite it actually being one of the most critically panned entries of the entire franchise but it did start the tradition of featuring uh minorities like on the big yeah, screen big time. with paul walker because yeah. i think paul walker was one of the only white people well in the and, then, and then we moved to tokyo drift which literally has one white person in right. it. right Right. Well, that's an interesting thing, and this is again, it goes back to the the film struggling to find an identity. So after the the the, the second one got critically panned, it was taken to Japan. That's when they brought in Justin Lin to direct, uh, and it also it did introduce the fan favorite of Han. Um, so again, a really big character, although the, the goofily named Han Solo. Han Solo. Anyway, that movie was also Go Figure was also critically panned. But what they were able to do very smartly was negotiate with Vin Diesel to get some of that Vin Diesel money back by, for him cameoing and getting produ- and a, a producer credit in the fourth f- film, he got the rights to Riddick back. Yep. Um, so we get to the fourth film. Which I love is, how much of a hard-on he has for that franchise, by the way. He loves it. He, I mean, I love Pitch Black. Um, Pitch Black's good. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> Still really good. Um, so they, they bring in, they bring um, him back in as a producer, and they go on to produce the fifth, uh, sorry, the fourth film, uh, which uh, again dr- they brought back Justin Lin again, and it was actually put the cast, it reunited the original cast back together, mm-hmm. and they were fighting the drug cartel and smuggling drugs in a revenge story because of the cartel had killed Letty, who was Michelle Rodriguez, but that brought in a very Hispanic cast mm-hmm. uh, to the film. So you have, so you get this globe trying thing. You've been to Asia, we've been to L.A. 
LA twice, and now we're, and we're down to Mexico. Uh, Florida, project. actually. Is it second. Florida? I think it's Florida in the second Florida one. Se- oh, you're right. Like it is Florida. Is, yeah, and that's where uh, Ludacris came yes. in as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With his awesome afro that he has yeah, in the second movie. Huge afro. Only in the second one. I like how they cameo it. And anyway, yeah. Uh, so this brings us, though, to, to the fifth one. Now, the fourth one was uh, a box office success. It was mm. not a runaway hit, but it was it was enough money for them to say, hey, let's throw some more money at this franchise. Mm-hmm. Here's 125 And mil. that's where Gal Gadot came in, right? This is where Gal... Okay. Uh, well, she was actually in the fourth one also. That's what I meant was yeah, the fourth yeah, yeah. one. Yeah, she was in the fourth yeah. one. Um, now, here's where the fifth one the fifth one comes in. Is it, They decided that to reinvigorate the franchise, they wanted to shift away from focusing just on Vin Diesel and Paul Walker into shifting into the family aspect because that was one of the things the now producer Vin Diesel really liked about the original film. So they said, let's 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 shift away from a movie about drag racing and cars and let's take a look. Uh, let's look at uh, heist films. Let's look at Ocean's Eleven. Let's look at The French Connection and let's look at The Italian Job. This is what we want. We want to make a movie like this. Uh, and and then Vin Diesel said, "Well, instead of casting a bunch of new characters, why don't we just go ahead and pull back from our own mythology we've already built?" It's and ridiculously, yeah, acting like um, this was a mythology anybody yes, gave a shit. I about, know, right? Which yeah. is amazing and silly, and I love it. Oh, it's beautiful because this is what happened, though. It brings in it. It brought back all of our well, all of our favorites. It brought back fan favorites and characters that were already established. So you got Tyrese Gibson, you got Gal Gadot, Ludacris, uh, Han, all of these characters who are not white characters, all into this film. And they cast new characters. They cast... This is where they brought in Dwayne The Rock Johnson Johnson, who is also part Simone and part black. Um, yeah, and, I'm sorry, it's Dwayne. Dwayne, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Johnson. Um, Give the and, man his due. And they He's all- earned it. <laughs> he did. And he, and he did. Is a big part of the reason oh, this movie works. Man, hardest working man it, in Hollywood. Oh, my God. God damn. He really is. Uh, and then they also brought in Elsa Patkey, which was the uh, officer that... Yeah. Uh, she's Spanish, Spanish. Playing she's Brazilian. Spanish. She's playing Brazilian. But the Spanish actress... So there, there was this huge emphasis that shifted to the ensemble. We're not just about what is our main guy like. It's about what's the group doing mm-hmm. uh, together. We're going to rob this bank to get everywhere, to get everyone out of trouble with the cartel. We're going to do this. We're going to have a revenge story. Um, so again, going back to a family made up of multiple cultures. And thus you have how did how we got a film that is multi it was not intentional this movie yeah. this film this is this is great I, and i mean dustin might roll his eyes this is how you and franchise hollywood this is good storytelling you look at what worked about the past sequels you draw from it and then you use those to tell a bigger story yeah so i mean if you want to look at how to make a hollywood uh, a diverse film hollywood apparently you don't do it on purpose but it is possible Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. I appreciate that, and I appreciate the um, ethnic diversity. I think that is uh, one of the laudable things, or maybe the only laudable thing, about this film. But moving right along, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis do you bring? Well, let's talk about that uh, not being laudable. Uh, All the Americans killing all the goddamn Brazilians in this movie. Uh, Brazil is a notoriously uh, poor country. Um, a notoriously corrupt country, a, a country that is kind of notorious for uh, a real disparity between uh, the haves and the have-nots. Tune in on NBC to see the Olympics and see what we're talking about. Yup. And yes, the bad guy of this film is a corrupt Brazilian uh, gangster uh, who is living at the absolute echelons of, of life, but his flunkies, as he says are all poor people from the favelas. He talks about uh, why the Portuguese so successfully colonized Brazil is because they came with trinkets and not with guns like the Spanish. Uh, so he go. I mean, the movie points out all of his cronies are poor kids from the favela who he has given some semblance of a good life, running water, electricity, schools for their children. And then The Rock and Vin Diesel... And Paul Walker murder this shit. This is a violent PG-13 movie. There's some pretty juicy squibs. Uh, and I think 
we would be remiss if we didn't talk about this aspect of the film because we you know we did spend a lot of time praising its its uh, the diversity of its cast and I I cannot be more thankful for that. But uh, you have this incredibly diverse cast of Americans mostly uh, murdering a bunch of poor Brazilian people like frequently and again quite violently. Oh, the rock like there's a scene where he like, knocks three dudes out at the same time he snaps someone's neck, and he stabs, stabs a, a guy in the throat. throat. Yeah. yeah, and it's again juicy squibs for a PG. I mean, it's a pretty violent film uh, for a PG thirteen rating. Usually they have the old sleepy time bullets where people just fall over and go to sleep. I mean, that's. There's some juicy, some blood shots in this movie. Uh, and I was kind of, I'd forgotten about that aspect of the film. And then again, they do millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of property damage to the city of Rio uh, by literally rolling a safe through the streets, just rolling it all over town. And it's weird to think about, man. Uh, yeah, clearly Reyes, is that, that's his name, right? Reyes? Who can tell? He's the bad guy. Um, clearly he is a bad man. Uh but he does seem to be putting a lot of money into that uh, economy there in Rio. So, uh, and, and then they take all the money for themselves. The Americans go and take the spoils of Brazil uh, back for themselves so they can go uh, colonize somewhere else. Because uh, I think they all end up in uh, the Dominican Republic, I think, by the sixth one. I can't remember. It's just a weird aspect of this film that uh, it's kind of hard to watch and not think about. Because, yes, we do have a ethnically diverse cast in Brazil, which is one of the most ethnically diverse uh, countries in the world. And they're just murdering the population, uh, the populace of Rio. Well, and I think we'd be remiss to point, if we didn't point out that this entire this entire plot was based off of revenge for the Brazilian gangster and it's being taken out on the, the people who really suffer are the, the poor Brazilian kids. Oh yeah. Who were caught in, in, in the, the middle, middle of these two factions. Exactly. Uh, it just, you know, just lots of Vin Diesel uh, running through people's uh, homes. Those favelas are homes. People live there and <laughs> Vin Diesel and the rock are just smashing shit. And it's, it's wacky and it's silly and it's fun to watch. And uh, it's fun to watch two anthropomorphic dicks uh, slam into each other. Um, <laughs> It's something I just wanted to, to touch on very briefly. Um, I didn't have like a fully formed analysis this this week. I just think we can't talk about the action scenes of this film without talking about the the colonial implications thereof. Um, do want to give one more tip of the hat though to Justin Lin's really magnificent uh, practical effects work throughout this film because it's. I mean, they almost derailed a damn train. And I appreciate that very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Now, I'm going to talk about this film because I did watch it in a film theory course, a course about the theory of film. So this film has been talked about in a film studies it was, course. It was on a syllabus. Uh, and uh, we talked about, of all things, uh, one Sergei Eisenstein and his montage theory. Shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, you know, I mean, we see this happening in contemporary Hollywood film with the ASL, the average shot length is getting shorter and shorter mm-hmm. and shorter. And uh, in action films, uh, we do have a similar shot length to what we did see in uh, those uh, early montage features from Russia. We're looking at you, Man with the Movie Camera by Vertov, and we're looking at you, uh, Battleship Potemkin by Eisenstein, and uh, other films of that ilk. And uh, this film definitely does that, but it also is uh, working in, in terms of its impact really because as we all say we're not we're a little moved by the family story but we honestly we don't care it's it's the action that's really suturing us in right and yeah the family stuff's cute but it's real schmaltzy yeah, and what really makes it work, though, is those set pieces. And uh, Eisenstein writes in his uh, essay, The Montage of Attractions, uh, he talks about a couple different types of film. Uh, one of those types of films are the represent- representational uh, narrative theater, which are uh, more the right-wing films that are just sort of telling stories that are mm. based on realism. And then they, he has his agit attack. Uh, 
Agit Attraction Theater, which is uh, more like Man with the Movie Camera and Battleship Potemkin. But then he goes on to describe another term, which is the montage of attractions, which is uh, film slash theater whose sole impact is in its composition, not so much in its narrative. He says this, and I quote, it's going to be a lengthy quote, but I think it's absolutely applicable to uh, Fast Five. An attraction in relation to the theater or film, is an aggressive aspect of the theater. That is, any element of the theater that subjects the spectator to a sensual, psychological impact, experimentally regulated and mathematically calculated to produce in him a certain emotional shock. And, and what it does, interestingly, and, and somewhat weirdly, let's just talk about that uh, train sequence when they're, when they're going off with the Corvettes and the, and the various other cars. Uh, you're not in, situated in a particular place as a spectator. You're, right. not, you're not following a particular character. Mm-hmm. There's not a point of view in which you reside. And you find yourself almost in impossible places. You know, you find yourself outside of the, uh, the ramp car at points and, and whatnot. And, and sometimes that would be quite off-putting. But they do this in synthesis of the shots beforehand, not so much to give you a place as spectator, but to give you a sense as far as emotion goes, where you feel the dread and the tension of that moment, wondering if, well, if you're not thinking, if the heroes will make it. Knowing the film just started, you know they will. However, that being said, you're, you're sort of taken away from that obviousness and uh, moved to those sort of emotional shocks. Same could be said for the vault dragging scene. Well, I, I would actually go to another scene. Uh, the only scene that I feel like has any real pathos in this movie is where the Rock's uh, whole team gets killed. Yeah. Yeah. And The Rock sells the pathos of this moment. And again, the camera is moving all around in the shootout, putting you in places where there is no one perspective. It is giving you kind of this omniscient narrator's uh, point of view where you're seeing all these men dead and dying. And you're seeing The Rock like being very uh, distraught about it. Like he's, he's, he's bummed out. My man is very sad. Right. And he sells the emotion of this scene. And again, actually putting you in the pathos of that scene and making you feel some some actual empathy and, and human emotion in a, in a movie about blowing shit up. Well, an omniscient narration in classical um, Hollywood cinema, according to David Bordwell, is all about conveying story information, about plot information. Here, this omniscience it's, is yeah, absolutely Yeah, it's emotional. not about plot. It's about emotion, exactly. It's about its intent, which is, again, following Eisenstein's uh, sort of montage of attractions. Now, I will tell you this. It is is not agitprop uh, type filmmaking. <laughs> it is absolutely doesn't have that sort of radical edge that other films of the time, but what they what these films and films like it have done is they've appropriated some of the stylings uh, to use uh, for a sort of industrial commercial art. And so that is part of what we're experiencing in the blockbuster. And that is sort of, again, the, the pleasures of those attractions as we experience them. And so um, Little Eisenstein is not really bad rating to a company uh, watching a film as ridiculous as Fast Five. Well, and it goes to show you uh, that film is really kind of the great commercial art in that you have industrial commerce uh, co-opting um, artistic technique, like truly artistic techniques and bringing them to the masses, which I think there is, you know, you, you can take that out as a, as a very like mm, commerce ruins everything. And it does. Uh, but there is something beautiful about showing real art to the masses. These are and films. I think that's something that deserves to be noted. But also, it makes me yearn for a film that could do more because those well, and of techniques course. were created to, to again, uh, create a heft that actually af- affect the material circumstances of the viewers and, 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 and bring about a cause to action. I'm, I'm feeling quite optimistic about the human condition today for whatever reason, which I know is rare for me. So I, I didn't want to focus on that positive aspect because you and I both focus on this kind of negative aspect of this, uh, of the co-opting of 
of like revolutionary art to mainstream uh, commercial industry. And, and let's look at the positive of that is that people are getting to experience artistic filmmaking, even if it is a movie about Carthys who become, you know, or street racers who become uh, Ocean's Super Eleven heroes, superheroes. Kind of. Yeah, let's go. Let's I mean, just say superheroes. My number seven, they are definitely. Superheroes. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, Vin Diesel like collapses a building with a wrench or something in seven. He, 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 yes, he does that. He also drives a car off of a parking garage midair, like on the fourth story, flies it, in, crashes into a helicopter, crashes the car, and walks away. Yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. Okay, well, there you go, dear listener. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think about our analysis and uh, your reactions to it. You can do that via those magical means of social media that we've already discussed so far. Let's render a verdict on this film, Shell for Trash, and then recommend our Elsa's or instead. I go to you first, Dalton. Shell for Trash, Elster instead. You know, as much praise as I've heaped upon this movie, I'm. You don't need to own it, uh, Elster instead. I would uh, check out more of Justin Lin's film, Justin Lin's filmography, which, uh, yes, at this point is mostly Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, but this year's Star Trek Beyond shows that he is uh, definitely a filmmaker of promise, and I think somebody that we should keep watching. I think you should watch some of the great car movies of all time, like Bullet, um, which is so fucking amazing really anything with steve mcqueen uh, is a good place to start with a uh, great car cinema uh but i think you should also watch another film uh another modern film that apes classic car style and that's uh death proof uh with kurt russell who would be featured later in this franchise uh i think that's a great film to pair with fast five because it's it is another modern film that is using a lot of 70s car movie uh technique Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you say? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? I mean, it's not a great movie, but for all the reasons we've mentioned already, I definitely would say put it on your shelf. If you want to look at a film that's a great, a great, good old-fashioned, dumb, fun, really, really dumb, fun blockbuster, I think this is among, like I said, Ghost Protocol and all of those. And if you think those are worth having on your shelf, then put it on your shelf. And I, I think from time to time, having those on my shelf is kind of comes in handy. Um, but to go, so shelf it uh, to watch alongside. I'll throw out, uh, Dalton already mentioned Bullet, which was my top pick i would also look at the french connection which is classic and really laid all the groundwork for all the car stunts that are done in any of the, in any of these movies um i'd also take a look at uh oceans 11 both the original and the remake because i think they're both good for different reasons and if you want to watch good old vin diesel guys already mentioned it pitch black that's a that's just a great movie with with vin diesel pitch black is is a really underrated genre pick it is That'll be my picks, Dustin. All right. Well, thank you very much. I am going to say trash. If it's if it's on TV, if it happens to be streaming, and you you, you want to watch it, fine. But you don't need to own this. This is absolutely disposable cinema, and uh, it, it's it's weird. It's one of those films that is like definitely worth full pricing in a movie theater, and then not putting on your yeah. spectacle. No, no, that, spectacle. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, that's where I'm kind of at too. Like I don't, I, I can only say I've watched this movie like twice since seeing it in the theater, but it was like, it was so much fun. Well, the montage of attractions is at work there, I think, especially in a theater setting. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, fine. Like I said, if it came out in theaters again, I guess you could watch it then. And so what you should watch instead is perhaps a film, a blockbuster film, a star vehicle film uh, that does have some of that radical edge. And I'm looking at the rundown starring Dwayne, Dwayne The Rock, Johnson Johnson and uh, that is uh, an excellent him and uh, Chris Walken uh, Chris Walken and Sean William Scott yeah Yeah. it's a fun movie movie. it's a really it's a fun movie and it does have some of that radical edge he also looks like a human in that one still Uh, there is that as well it is before he has transcended uh, the the flesh and uh, all hail the new flesh all hail the new flesh all Uh, hail we should also watch Videodrome just because um, Dalton said that. Um, <laughs> last, just because everyone should always be watching Videodrome. Always. Uh, lastly, I'm going to say Battleship Potemkin. 
check that out and see what you can do with emotion and uh, radical filmmaking in a way that is, again, trying to achieve some sort of societal change. Well, and uh, check out those Odessa steps and realize that Hollywood's been stealing from Battleship Potemkin for years. So there you go, dear listener. We now turn our attention to the AV9000 randomizer as we're going to find out what we're going to be looking at next time. Big money, big money. No whammy, no whammy. No whammy? I really can't even say it. I cannot say you it. You already know what it is. I yeah. cannot. I cannot even. Do you want even, me to say it? I, no, just I don't. Just pop it open. Tell me. It's Transformers, guys. Oh, God damn it. Yes. Yes. I hate everyone and everything. <laughs> Are you fucking serious? Um, God damn Hold it. me. Are you going to be okay? I'm not okay, I'm man. not okay at all. Do you think we can both sit this one out and just make the rest of them talk about Transformers? That's what we ought to do. That's what we should do. We should both like object to talking about it. But you know what? That We really can't do that. You know why? Because why? movies are so much more than just the 90 minutes in the bucket of popcorn. It's so much more than the quality of the film in question. It's about the conversations that you have. That's all what right, makes right, watching right, the movies right, worthwhile. Right. So you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandra Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Kick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com. Come on down to Curly's Cinema Circus. We've got all of your VHS favorites. That's that's the rapist VHS chain, right? Why do you always say it's a rapist? It just sounds creepy. You're like, no! come get in my car full of candy. <laughs> oh, no. I don't like this at all. <laughs> I want to go back to before you were part of this. <laughs> no one else ever said that about me, Caleb. <laughs> okay. Well, that was interesting. Uh, let's go ahead and hear that synopsis, Dalton. Uh, you got it, baby. Uh, 